Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin. And this is your host, Robbie Martin. So we have a new way for you guys to donate if you like Media Roots Radio. Um, we really thank everyone for their support, for their comments, for listening to this series. Um, the link is Patreon, and it's going to be in the SoundCloud timeline, and it's just a great, great avenue for people to donate to journalists that they like, and this podcast does take a, a little bit of uh, uh, labor of love and work, and we would really appreciate if anyone could um, donate either a one-time donation or monthly to keep it going. We really want to do either um, at least monthly, absolutely, if not bi-monthly, and we're gonna, that's going to depend on, um, obviously, how much you know support we get. Yeah, and we're just talking mostly about when we, you and I do it together. I'll probably still be doing solo mm-hmm. episodes while you're working on Empire Files in between those. So, um, at least two episodes a month, um, mm-hmm. and and at least one from Abby and I, um, if not two per month. But uh, yeah, so we we already did an episode um, a couple weeks ago about just the aftermath of the election and how surreal everything was um but things just seem to be getting even more surreal and weirder and um and there's just so much more to talk about (laughs) with uh with trump his cabinet um and just the way the alternative media is acting right now and how so many people who were rightfully hating on hillary clinton and thinking she was going to bring more wars and more neoconservative policies are now kind of hoping um, that Trump is going to change everything. And they have all this faith in Trump. Um, so that's something we have to contend with. Um, but, you know, everyone seems to be having this wait-and-see attitude when it comes to his cabinet choices. Um, but we aren't going to wait-and-see because this is the only way to gauge what his actual policy is going to be like since he has no discernible ideology of his own, except for being a shrill sort of racist um, dog whistler and media manipulator. Yeah. I mean, that's really all we know about Trump. And all these people kind of laud Trump as this master, this brilliant manipulator. Yes. in, In the sense that he knows how to kind of hijack the media narrative and continue it and create kind of this false news cycle absolutely but that's where it ends like the trump that you see on twitter is trump you know he's not using twitter to like mask some brilliant um ideology behind him and some grand plan like that's him the cabinet appointees are who is running the show and who will be running the show i mean he has no insight on global affairs and and so to to the point of the people saying let's wait and see he he really might be a secret liberal he really is just kind of like hyperbolically talking about a lot of these things well we've seen the 100 days agenda on his website and we see all of the people he's appointed and i, I, I it is actually worse than i thought it, it really is and i think that there's really no dancing around what's going on here which is a potentially more right-wing cabinet than george w bush yeah, I mean, at least with the George W. Bush administration, I mean, this is not to put a, try to put a positive spin on it, mm-hmm. but if you were really tracking the, the George W. Bush administration back then, and you saw what their cabinet appointments were sort of early in the process before they were actually picked, it was very easy to see that Project for the New American Century was essentially transitioning into the Bush administration and becoming 
the Bush administration's backbone for their entire political agenda, at least their foreign policy agenda. What we have happening here seems to be more of a random sampling of really crazy neocons, um, some of whom were even actually demoted in the Bush administration because they were so crazy, like John Bolton, and other people connected to um, corporate America, Goldman Sachs and Blackwater, um, Eric Prince, uh, Eric Prince's sister specifically, um, is getting a slot in the in the Trump cabinet. Yeah, so, I just did this interview today on Real Real News where I was talking about all these appointees and saying, you know, we we should be scared of them and we should be on alert. And so, and people called me fear mongering, and I was like, dude, we're talking about Eric Prince. Like, this is potentially the most psychopathic kind of figure <laughs> next to Cheney, next to some of these characters in the Bush administration. Like, why are we taking that lightly? Yeah, and I feel. I, I guess part of me actually does feel sorry for some of these alt-right Trump supporters who thought he was going to drain the swamp and bring in hope and change because it reminds me a lot of people that I knew back when Obama got elected who were telling me to stop fear-mongering and were telling me to wait, just wait and see what Obama's going to do. He's going to change all these things. Just wait. Even after he got in his second term, everyone was like, just wait. This is going to be the term where he does all the real stuff. And then nothing happened. So we're probably going to see that same pattern repeat mm-hmm. itself with alt-right Trump supporters who have been brainwashed by Trump's campaign. Um, that they're going to wait. They're literally going to wait four years until they really start to complain. And even then, they're still going to make excuses, just like Obama supporters did. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's kind of a hard education for them. But you know. You would have to be awfully dumb to not at least, as a Trump supporter, see this parallel already unfolding now. If you're really aware of the big picture, it's pretty obvious. And I already saw you know, some of these alt-right people understanding that they were already being betrayed. Um, so it's already starting. Um, there's no way that Trump will be able to maintain this, this support that he had even campaigning. But I still don't think it's going to make enough of a dent to really create the pushback that's needed. Um, especially because the alternative media and you know more of the fringe media is still completely on board with Trump and it is barely going after him, which is also kind of fascinating. Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, like to your point about criticizing Hillary for the wars and neocons, it's just this total blind spot on on Trump's uh, appointees and their bellicose rhetoric on Iran and and a bunch of like outlier neocons, these old establishment weirdos who have been complete outliers at the GOP because they've almost been too nuts. Um, and now, you know, they were just the ones crazy enough to flatter Trump from the beginning and pander his insanity endlessly. So they're just kind of getting rewarded now with random positions. Um, but a lot of them are um, really huge warmongers. Who knows who's going to be in charge of Secretary of State? Has he picked that yet? That's no. like the big one. That's the big prize, right? It could be Petraeus. It could be Giuliani. It could be John Bolton. I mean, which is just so fascinating how Hillary Clinton like, I mean, that really, is, I mean, Petraeus was, he had to step down because of the scandal and the affair that he had and giving classified information to Paula Broadwell and all that stuff. But in reality, I mean, he, he was, uh, you know, I think he was really well liked in the Obama administration. If it wasn't for that scandal, I don't think that he would have had to step down. Mm-hmm. And now here's Trump bringing him back into government. Um, and and this is the guy who was making jokes about how one of the doctors, Kagan, had a hand up his back telling him what to do and say like a puppet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so this is the same guy who had Fred and Kim Kagan barking orders at him in while he was in Afghanistan. And he was doing what they were telling him to do. Two completely non-elected, non-government officials who worked in private think tanks that were funded by defense contractors. Um, so this is what we're going to get again with the Trump administration, but with the inclusion of crazy motherfuckers like John Bolton, mm-hmm. who've aggressively wanted to overthrow the government of Iran and even launch a military strike somehow on the country or or even let Israel attack it and blow up you know their their nuclear research facilities just like uh, Israel did to Iraq when they blew up their um, nuclear power plant in the 1980s so um, we're in for a really really scary time and this is combined with this idea that uh, Obama's powers, presidential powers, are all going to be handed to Trump. So the right to kill any American citizen that you deem a terrorist will be, um, Trump will have that authority. The right to indefinitely detain people is still allowed. Um, Gitmo is still open. All these precedents that were codified under the Obama administration will now be part of the Trump administration. And what upsets me the most is seeing all these liberals who were Obama supporters freaking out only now right, that these exactly. powers are going to be handed over. Yeah, exactly. Where were you guys for the last eight years? This is what we were telling you eight years ago. Yeah, the whole... T- this the is whole, why the whole re- it was so dangerous. The whole reason that we were criticizing Hillary almost only leading up to the election is not because we... Um, didn't want to criticize Trump. It's because everyone and their mother thought that Hillary would win. And so we were gearing up opposite of the mainstream media, right? They were trying to to criticize Trump every day nonstop because they wanted Hillary to win. They were trying to sell her. We were trying to actually hold her accountable years prior when we knew she was going to be ultimately, we thought, the ordained one. And so we've been trying vigorously every day to try to build that kind of opposition to what we thought would be the government. Right. So now you have the situation where everyone's blindsided and scrambling to figure out what the hell is Trump going to do? What are we looking at here? And I just would encourage his supporters like you, you cannot look at his appointees and defend them like Mike Pence. I just don't understand. I mean, he, he is Dick Cheney. He's an iteration of Dick Cheney. And the horrific anti-gay stuff aside, I mean, at least Dick Cheney was pro-gay by the, by the time he was <laughs> vice president. This guy is one yeah. of the most anti-gay um, politicians in Washington, period. Uh, the, the conversion therapy, and then you have just the vehement anti-LGBTQ policy. And then, but what's even scarier, Robbie, you mentioned Eric Prince earlier, and this is a guy who got the most money from Eric Prince, the founder of Blackwater, while he was a senator. That's really, really disturbing. And after, if I want to remind people about the Nasser Square Massacre um, by Blackwater employees where over a dozen Iraqis, innocent women, children were gunned down by contractors. And um, it was a horrific, horrific scandal. Right after that, in the immediate wake, Mike Pence brought Eric Prince to Washington for like a private gala. Um, rewarding, I guess, the war crimes uh, on behalf of him. So that's how tight they are. And, and when you're telling me that Mike, Pren- Mike Pence is really going to be the one running, quote, foreign and domestic policy, as we know, that's what Trump's son told John Kasich. He said, we need someone to run the show while Trump just brands the show. That's what's going on here. And, and talk about Mike Pence's crazy connection to the anthrax. 
But yeah, we talked about this a little bit last time. But my my take on Mike Pence is he's he would be like is if Dick Cheney was a complete vessel for other power factions in the U.S. government or just in D.C. So like as soon as Mike Pence became a congressman, like the very first year. He was already starting to like play all these roles in spreading neocon propaganda. And one of the main ways he did this was, unlike his colleagues, Tom Daschle and Patrick Leahy, who actually got anthrax letters addressed to them and could have died from inhalation anthrax, apparently a minute amount of anthrax was found in Mike Pence's office, which was completely in a different building from what I understand, than where Dashiell and Leahy were. So no one really knows how this anthrax got into his office. But uh, the congressional police um, did a press conference saying that there was trace amounts found in Mike Pence's office. And Mike Pence went on this weird diatribe about how God and Jesus was protecting him, and that's why he survived the attacks. And he did this press conference before even receiving antibiotic treatments for anthrax, which to me is a little bit strange if you had thought you were just, you know, inhaled a biological weapon. Um, and then he had the uh, press come to the hospital and film his family getting Cipro treatments. But the weirdest part about it is Mike Pence went on uh, onto the House floor and into the press and used the congressional record, the official record, to continuously assert that Saddam Hussein was behind the 2001 anthrax attacks, even after Ari Fleischer told the White House press corps that he was not behind the anthrax attacks and that there was no bentonite found in the anthrax. Ari Fleischer did this in November of 2001. Mike Pence continued to assert this connection for the next year, Wow! all throughout 2002. Um, so, I don't think that a freshman congressman um, who just got into the office would have just taken it upon himself to do this on his own. I think it's very clear that he indebted himself to neoconservative power factions pretty much immediately after getting this job. Right. Um, and maybe to him, that was a way to climb the ladder and gain allies in certain more powerful circles. Sort of like Tom Cotton, who's essentially just a vessel for Bill Kristol. Um, Bill Kristol clearly wrote the anti-Iran deal letter for Tom Cotton. That's been pretty much proven now um, by various journalists. Um, and, and of course, Tom Cotton received millions of dollars, just like you're saying about Eric Prince paying for Mike Pence's campaign. Uh, Bill Crystal's Emergency Committee for Israel put, th- uh, I think, $2.5 million in a super PAC to get Tom Cotton elected. Unbelievable. So these are essentially vessels of neoconservative power. They're like fronts. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> faces, and, masks and, for it. And Mike Pence, yeah, he looks like a mask too. His role model <laughs> is Dick Cheney. He said this in an interview and I was like, wow, man, yep. like Dick Cheney's so unpopular at this point. People joke about like, why isn't he dead every day? And that's who you're actually trying to channel? Like, are you absolutely out of your fucking mind um the woman's just like so what who do you admire and he was like dick cheney and she was like oh that's wow she's like he's a controversial figure like and he was like i want to be exactly like him and the woman was like oh some people say that he you know overstepped his role and he was like nope he's like he was a very active vice president i'm gonna be extremely active as well i was like wow dude you are just going for it aren't you um and betsy devos the billionaire sister of eric prince couldn't be the worst like there couldn't be a worse pick for secretary of education <laughs> and she has been pioneering the undermining of public education for 
years and years and she will privatize the shit out of um, schools. So that's Eric Prince's sister inside of the government now. That's disturbing to me. Um, yeah, and what's mm-hmm. also interesting about that is Dan Senor and Campbell Brown were two of the most vocal anti-Trump um, neocons. I, I don't know if you call Campbell Brown one, but she's Dan Senor's wife. She's an ex-CNN reporter. She's been lobbying for the last four or five years to privatize education, these charter schools. She's been one of the main people pushing for that angle um, and that change in our country. And all of a sudden, they love his Secretary of Education pick. So that goes to show you that it doesn't matter if you know, you're a neocon in DC and you slam Trump for years and years. If he starts doing things that you like and that are sort of more neoconservative policies that are more in line with your ideology, you're just going to join up with him. I mean, he's in power now. Of course, all these neocons are going to swallow their pride and try to become part of the new person who's taken power. Yeah, of course. Of course. And Dan Senior also praised Mike, Mike Pompeo, the CIA chief. I sent you the tweet. And I was like, wow, I guess if Dan Senior uh, praises this guy, he must be good. <laughs> he must be great yeah. for them. I mean, he just said, great pick. Great pick. Terrible Islamophobe, defender of torture. And once again, thanks, Obama, for not actually making torture illegal. Thanks, Obama, for not prosecuting um, the war criminals and tortures of the Bush administration. I'm not saying that the Obama is not a war criminal. I'm just saying because he refused to prosecute them, that sends a very clear message to all future presidents. Hey, you can do this too and get away with it. Of course. It sets a terrible precedent. Um, and, it's, uh, and, and it was codified under the Obama administration. And now it's here to stay. Yeah. I mean, this is what we were talking about ever since we started doing this podcast, is how the reason... All this post 9 11 uh, laws and draconian legislation is dangerous, is because it's going to be permanent. It's not just a temporary thing to respond to a, a supposed threat of Islamic terrorism or threat, you know, all the new threats we face. They are permanent laws that have been put into place that are here for all of us. And that's, I mean, that's the future that we're living in. There is no way. I mean, I and I, I hate to sound um, cynical about this, but there's I don't see any way that any of these laws are now going to be repealed at all. Yeah, um, and then you have the we're, drone we're war. Completely, Obama expanded the drone war to now you know b- basically right before Trump's getting in office, he's actually creating more and more power. Still, you think that he would have at least said, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to cut back a little bit um, now that Trump actually won," but instead, no. And said, no, more countries to bomb, more terrorists to target. Why not? Why not? Let's give it all over to a game show host. Why not? And, um, and, and, and there's some very disturbing um, patterns that have been emerging for me just looking back on, on this team of people that are circling him right now and just seeing where they came from. And one of the people I wish I was looking closer at during this whole process is Frank Gaffney. Um, because he's unique in the neoconservative consensus. And tell people who he is really quick, like in Trump's team. He's just in, in the advisory team or in the transition well, he team? he is leading the transition of all the foreign policy people yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was reported, I believe, by the Washington Post about a week and a half ago. Frank Gaffney publicly denies it. He's pretending he's not involved. Um but it was reported in several credible, like several credible reports said that they have proof that he is. He's just publicly denying it. 
Um, which makes sense because it looks like Frank Gaffney was an instrumental, at least influencer. People say that Bannon, Steve Bannon, was the main person who influenced Trump and all this stuff. I would actually argue, based on what I've seen, is that Frank Gaffney did. Specifically, Frank Gaffney's Center for Security Policy, which is sort of this phony think tank that has been basically trying to turn in turn Breitbart-style Islamophobic propaganda into like think tank papers and academic writings. So, this guy, um, ever since he left PNAC, when PNAC was disbanded, um, he has been continuously putting out anti-Muslim uh, Islamic fear-mongering propaganda. Um, and I don't specifically want to go into exactly what he's done. I mean, he's pretty much every event that's happened that has anything to do with Islamic terrorism or ISIS or any suspected terrorism in the United States, he has jumped on it with full force and used the full engine of his little apparatus to propagandize and fearmonger people about it. Um, he's also one of the only neocons who made a uh, who built a bridge to the alt right movement. He actually has a column in Breitbart. Wow. Uh, constantly talking about Muslims. So I think that makes him very unique. But one of the things that caught my attention the most wasn't just these obvious connections. Oh, and then I should mention that also that he advised Ted Cruz he, um, publicly. He acknowledged that. The ban Muslim immigration uh, proposal came from Frank Gaffney. The whole concept of immigration being mixed together with ISIS fear-mongering comes from Frank Gaffney. It's very clear that Ted Cruz used that talking point from Gaffney, and it and it crossed over to Trump's campaign. If you notice, only Cruz and Trump were really the only two people pushing that hot button, the merging of illegal immigration and terrorism together right. as like a new issue. Good point. That comes from Frank Gaffney. Good point. Very intense thing to do. Very deceptive, very smart, brilliant thing to do if your goal is to really rile up and emotionally manipulate the right-wing conservative like Christians in the United States. Yeah. Um, I think it's genius. Very scary uh, thing to do, but he's done it because now we're sitting here all talking about immigration in the same way that like European right-wingers are. When there's no, when there's bare, there's no evidence whatsoever that immigrants here will be doing terrorism um and and most of the quote-unquote terrorism that's happening in the united states and if you want to include 9-11 in that all of those people were here on visas or student visas or work visas they're they weren't even immigrants or illegal immigrants it doesn't even make sense right and it, basically this talking it, it's so crazy too because have you ever even encountered a syrian refugee here like i live in new york city and i've never and i talk to a lot of people like where are all these syrian refugees and the refugees coming in like where are these people all over the u.s encountering all these all these immigrants and refugees it's it's really interesting they just live in these isolated bubbles and hear this hyperbolic rhetoric that has zero foundation and truth and it's really pathetic actually and all of these people have the same kind of islamophobic attitude um, mike flynn who says fear of muslims is rational that's what he tweeted um yep. it's very very disturbing he's a very bizarre character in all this and I'll, I'll get into him in a little bit but the one thing that caught my eye the most with frank gaffney was something just kind of mentioned as an aside on his webpage. Uh, he has his own AM talk radio, uh, political talk radio show called Secure Freedom Radio. And 
this puts him in a similar category as Mike Pence, who also had his own AM radio, right-wing talk radio show, that he continued to do when he became a congressman. So, there's a lineage here going back to the whole AM radio, right-wing talk radio culture, which to me was the, is the originator of a lot of this sort of, whatever you want to call it, post-truth era, or just you know, crop, mixing together real news with fake news, selective um, hysteria, things like that, come from right-wing talk radio culture. So this is something they have in common. But interestingly, on his guest list, he only lists about six regularly occurring guests on his show. Back in early 2015, before Trump was even considered a serious candidate, Frank Gaffney lists as his regularly occurring guests, out of only six guests, Mike Pence, Newt Gingrich, John Bolton, and James Woolsey. There you go. Um, So, I don't think that's a coincidence that Gaffney was keeping very close these small group of neoconservative outliers, including an extremely obscure figure who no one had heard of until Trump picked him, Mike Pence. I think that's very curious. Um, And I think... Everybody should be taking a very close look at Frank Gaffney right now because I believe we will be seeing a domestic policy or at least the media sort of presentation Trump will make about terrorism and about Islam and Muslims. It's going to be straight from the Frank Gaffney playbook. Yeah, and these people um, who and I say think we need to be aware of these that. These people who say let's wait and see. We don't know what Trump's going to do. Well, first of all, all the people he's appointing and all of you know all of their Islamophobia and anti-immigrant rhetoric, anti anti-gay rhetoric. It's like all of them are kind of the most extreme right wing that you can get. But on top of that, he has his agenda on the website. Like, yes, some of it is interesting and good. Um, abolishing like some lobbyists from there's probably some caveats with all that shit anyway. So it's like a mixed bag. Like you're looking through it and you're like, oh, interesting, interesting. And then you're like, oh, shit, like mass deportations within the first hundred days. You're like, oh, what? That means like actual police state style raids, like going through neighborhoods. And it's like, I, I and the whole ban on Muslims things is still up on the website. It still says until we quote, figure out what is going on, we should ban all Muslims from entering the United States. So let's, let's talk about Bannon though, because I think the mainstream media is missing the point. Well, duh. And they're all talking about the kind of the anti-Semitism within the campaign and how, and how Breitbart fosters anti-Semitism. That's true. And in the comment sections, of course, you'll see the worst of the internet there. Um, But it would be wrong to say that Bannon is not a friend of Israel and not a friend of Jewish people because it's extremely founded in Zionism. And, you know, Bannon was just invited to the Zionist Organization of America um, ball in D.C. So I wanted you to kind of go off on what do you think is missing about Bannon and Breitbart and give us some context on it. Well, I wanted to start by saying that I see Bannon as just a filtered down version of he he is a protege of Matt Drudge. Um, Matt Drudge is, I believe, instrumental in all of this, in getting Trump elected, in creating um, a huge burst of new audience members for Infowars. Um, and I think those two things alone are far more powerful than anything Breitbart had done during this election cycle. Um, and... I, I would very strongly make that argument to anyone who's focusing more on Bannon in this because 
Matt Drudge is not someone who would ever feel comfortable being in an official position of power. He doesn't even appear on TV anymore. He's like Howard Hughes. He lives in a fucking hotel in Miami. Um, so Matt Drudge is a very unusual, eccentric character. He claims he was a ghost whisperer, and that's how he got his start in journalism, a ghost in the CBS building that he was sec- um, he was a paper pusher in, told him to dig things out of the garbage in this CBS building. That's where his first stories came from. He broke the Monica Lewinsky story and forced the mainstream media to cover it. So his goal this whole time has been to destroy the Clintons. Um, and to me, this seems like he it took him this long, but he has succeeded, essentially, in doing that. Um, Hillary Clinton will never run for president again. I would be very surprised if she ran for any public office again. This is the final nail in the Clinton coffin. And I'm surprised that we don't see more people talking about Matt Drudge's role in this. Um, I think it's it's just worth going over the history a little bit, which, I mean, a lot of people already know this, but Andrew Breitbart actually died before the website Breitbart got started. So he died right before it launched. I, I, I'm pretty sure. I might be technically wrong on that. Or it was brand new when he died. So Andrew Breitbart is actually a protege of Matt Drudge. He learned everything he knew from Matt Drudge. He said, there's actually a quote from him where he says, I'm Matt Drudge's bitch. Um, <laughs> wow. Andrew Breitbart actually was instrumental in starting the, the website Huffington Post with Ariana Huffington when she used to be a Republican. That's something a lot of people also forget is that Huffington Post and Ariana Huffington used to be aligned with Matt Drudge. She switched later on. So, these are very influential shadow players in D.C. Um, who have made a lot of moves to get to this point in in history or whatever. But when you were saying that, that this accusation right now is that Bannon is an anti-Semite and he hates Jews, um, I believe is sort of a meme that's been inflated online. And, and also it's an accusation made about the alt-right that they're all anti-Semites. When in fact, most of the alt-right that I've seen are actually Zionists, um, pro-Israel, extremely anti-Mexican, anti-black, and anti-Muslim. Uh, so to me, those are the characteristics that actually define the alt-right far more than any anti-Semitism. Now, there are anti-Semitic alt-right people for sure, but they, I, I, th- I actually think they're the minority. Right. Um, What's more important here, though, is what you said, is that Bannon is extremely Zionist. And here's an entry from Wikipedia um, about Breitbart. So it says, during a stay in Israel, Breitbart and Larry Solov conceived of the idea of founding Breitbart News Network with, quote, the aim of starting a site that would be unapologetically pro-freedom and pro-Israel. We were so sick of the anti-Israel bias of the mainstream media and J Street. Wow. Which is just, it's like a cartoon topsy-turvy upside down right. world. What psychopath would think that? Yeah. That there's an anti-Israel bias? Are you kidding me? That shows you I how mean, Zionist they are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People are fucking nuts. <laughs> um, so then Solov, this guy who traveled to Israel with Breitbart, says, quote, One night in Jerusalem... When we were getting ready for dinner, Andrew turned to me and asked if I would de-partner from the 800-person law firm where I was practicing and become business partners with him. He said he needed my help to create a media company. He needed my help to change the world 
We were blown away by the spirit, tenacity, and resourcefulness of the Israeli people on that trip. Andrew could be quite convincing, not to mention inspiring, and I decided right there then to throw it away. A perfectly good, successful, and safe career in order to start a new media company with Andrew. So inspiring. So So inspiring. Throw it all away. (laughs) So what is this really, to me, this really implies that Israeli Hasbro an anti-Muslim propaganda that's largely originated from Israel in the first place was spread to the United States in the form of Breitbart, the Drudge Report, and people like Frank Gaffney, who heavily tried to inject it into our culture um, at post-Breitbart. Yeah, because think mostly. about it. Hasbro's foundation is Islamophobia, you know? Absolutely. And anti-Arab stuff. So, like, it totally makes sense that that was exported Arabs and absorbed. Arabs only understand force. Yep, and then it was totally absorbed into these, like, to absorb the right wing here. Wow, it's so interesting. And and we've talked about for a while, why does it seem like Islamophobia is making such a comeback? Right. Well, think about it. After 9-11, I think Islamophobia was sort of already on a downward trajectory. It spiked right after 9-11, and it sort of slowly kind of ramped down, even, you know, just even just very slightly over time. But then all of a sudden, after Breitbart and the alt-right started to come back, it just, boom, it like exploded again. And, you know, the whole time you and I were thinking, well, is this because of ISIS? Is that really what's, you know, it's really scaring people? Um, But I don't think that's it. I think that this was a coordinated sort of behind-the-scenes media campaign to to do this Um, and to basically use Israeli Hasbro again like what happened after 9-11, but in a more intense way. And then we also have people like Sam Harris and Majid Nawaz, who is a a UK-funded state propagandist, um, pretending like liberals need to adopt Frank Gaffney-style Islamophobia. I mean, not pretending, they are overtly saying that liberals, to be truly liberal, you need to think like someone like Frank Gaffney about Islam. That's why people were So, so shocked when Sam Harris tweeted, if you have like a green frog or you know, are supporting Trump, unfollow me. And everyone was like, wait, that's your entire fan base. What do you mean? Yeah, he he had to do that eventually because he probably realized how obvious it was looking to people that he was a Pied Piper for a huge amount of the alt-right <laughs> movement. A huge amount. Oh my so, God. To me, it's just, it's, this is being missed um, in all of this because for some reason the media is still hooked on this idea that Trump and the alt-right are secretly anti-Semitic. And the only ammo I think they really have for that is sort of this whole George Soros is behind everything conspiracy. Because that does almost seem like a borderline anti-Semitic kind of coded anti-Semitism. Like this one Jewish old man is like in control of everything. Everything in the whole world. Every protest anywhere is funded by George Soros. Um, Yeah, even Democracy Now! Juan Gonzalez had on you know, this this Jewish scholar to talk about the Holocaust and in reaction to something about Bannon and anti-Semitism. And I was just thinking this kind of misses the boat because I think what we should be talking about right now is Islamophobia, you know? And it was kind of just, it's just been kind of masked and distorted and conflated a lot, um, even though it's so apparent that Breitbart is 100% Zionist and it's more Zionist than any other media source that I can think of. And, ha- you know, going back to Drudge and then you have Infowars, these people are steps away from the president's ear and Trump legitimizes all this shit by, you know, s- just tweeting away like millions of people 
are voting illegally. All the protesters are professional. I understand why people are completely disillusioned with the corporate press. Obviously, their whole thing is about making profit and not telling the truth. They omit, they distort, they censor. Everyone kind of has tuned them out in our generation. But I think that instead of just latching onto like every and any alternative, quote unquote, alternative news site and taking it, you know, at face value is definitely wrong. And I think that that is a huge fucking problem. Um, and, you know, you're, I see right here, like Drudge just ran straight fake news. Like you want to talk about fake news, this like McCarthyist the list oh, yeah. going around. Like, let's talk about Drudge and Infowars because that is who is in the president's ear. Like these are de facto state media now. It's not truth dig and counterpunch. Like those are the people doing the real work. That is the antithesis no. of these sites. And I think with Breitbart, you don't have very much crossover. You have a very specific sect of conservatives who are disillusioned with the establishment GOP, but that's pretty much it. With Infowars, you do have a huge crossover. A lot of liberal and leftists still somehow trust Infowars. And you also have a lot of like Patriot movement, Tea Party people. Also, a lot of Breitbart readers probably also read Infowars. But then you have Drudge, which everybody reads. I've heard stories going back as far as, I think, 2004, when Janine Garofalo used to host an Air America radio show. She did a whole episode on Drudge about how everybody she knows in the mainstream media relied on Drudge for breaking stories when, when they would wake up in the morning. Their bosses would tell them, go to DrudgeReport.com and let us know what's breaking. That is how many people in the mainstream media for years have gotten their breaking stories, um, which I find absolutely incredible. That's insane. And, and that was a long time ago. Um, but we have to pay close attention to what's happened in the last like three or four years with Drudge, where it has started posting Infowars and Mark Dice uh, content at the top of their page on a regular basis. Um Drudge is responsible for popularizing Milo Yiannopoulos, or whatever the fuck his name is. They, they were posting his articles from Breitbart. And of course, Drudge is responsible for Breitbart. It is an arm of the Matt Drudge philosophy. And on some level, this actually gives Matt Drudge access to the White House itself. Of course. And that, to me, is incredible that we have a man who is... Smart enough to know when he's running fake news, first of all, who regularly ran crazy manipulative fake news and got away with it the whole time by just people saying, well, no, he's just an aggregator. <laughs> he doesn't create news. He's just aggregating other things. And also another pattern I notice with Drudge is racism and conservative bullshit has always been a problem in, in comment sections, um, you know, ever since they existed. Uh, but I noticed that Drudge would actually create the biggest amounts of them. So, for an example, you go back to like 2010, look at any article Drudge was linking to, even if it's not a conservative article, all of the comments come from people who have come to that article from Drudge. That is another thing I think people haven't been paying enough attention to. It's not just that conservative comments have like taken over the internet. It's actually Drudge is channeling yeah, and yep. flowing those comments to those websites. I blame a lot of that on his site. Now, that's a, just a really interesting thing because, again, he's not creating that content. He's just linking to it. And remember last year so, or two years ago, he wrote 
Um, one of the most interesting figures to pay attention to was Alex Jones. I mean, he basically signal boosted the fuck out of Alex Jones in Infowars, like you said, not only on the front page of Drudge all the time, but like personally oh, yeah. endorsed him. And was just like, this yep. is the best um, like formulation of new media I've seen. And it's like, what are you talking about? And of course, it was after Infowars, um, you know, jumped on the Pamela Geller gravy train. So, yeah, it all and, fits together. And we also, it's worth remembering, too, that Breitbart broke three huge stories that made huge waves in the mainstream media for a long time. And the only one of them that ended up actually being true and accurate was the Anthony Weiner story that they broke. And out of the uh, out of those three, the other two were were manipulated and pretty much like borderline hoax stories. One of them acorn? was the Acorn yep. story with James O'Keefe dressing as a pimp and going to the Acorn office, even though he pretended like he dressed as a pimp and went in the Acorn office. He actually took the pimp outfit off before he went in the office. So. It's pretty much a hoax. It's, it's a weird, manipulative thing he was doing. And then the Sherrod story, where they tried to claim that one of Obama's appointees was racist against white people by editing a video of hers, talking about helping a white farmer. Um, so those two stories ended up being basically hoaxes, but they still made all these huge waves across the mainstream media. Um and there's other things that Drudge has... I mean, these are just some recent examples of Drudge running fake stories. So what he likes to do is he likes to write his own headlines mm-hmm. for real stories. But the headline will be something that he writes himself. And also, people only read headlines now. Like, I just saw some statistic that was just the vast majority of people do not read the articles. So headlines do matter tremendously. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And here's an interesting example. So... Um, around September of 2015, uh, a crane fell in Mecca during a storm that killed 60 people. Uh, Drudge ran with this headline uh, with a picture of lightning striking in Mecca, saying, lightning strikes mosque in Mecca, 60 killed. Um, and to me, the reason why that's a fascinating hoax story or manipulative uh, headline is because he knows that his Christian evangelical audience will interpret that as this is an act of God, that God is taking revenge <laughs> on Muslims, right? Yeah. I mean, why else would he write such a bizarre headline? That's clearly the intention. Right. He never retracted it. He never said anything. But later, he quietly changed the headline to Storm Strikes Mecca Mosque, 65 Dead After Crane Collapse, with the same picture of the lightning bolt. So he knows when he's doing things that are a little crazy, mm-hmm. and he'll change it later, but with no explanation, no apology, no retraction. Um, another example of this is Million Dollar Extreme, alt-right, piece of shit comedian who pretends mm-hmm. he's apolitical, but is actually like a total alt-right fucktard, Sam Hyde. Um, Drudge ran a picture of Sam Hyde in a car, driving a car, with a fake black character tweeting, I'm going to steal this cracker's car. And it was literally at the top of the Drudge Report (laughs) website, presenting it as if it was an actual carjacking about to take place. Yeah. So either Drudge is knowingly reposting alt-right troll attempts, or he's falling for alt-right troll attempts. I think it's actually the former, that he's he's knowingly Mm -hmm. posting false information. The knockout game meme... The idea that there were black people everywhere around the country 
punching out white people, unsuspecting white people as a part of a game, that comes from Drudge also. He's the one who put that into the mainstream consciousness as if it was a national um, event that we were going to, you know, be careful walking on the street because you might get hit by the knockout game. I mean, that that's, that's straight from Drudge. Um, so, I mean, just time and time again, he's doing, he's manipulating the narrative. Um, I mean, in a lot of the recent stuff he's done has had to do with like, you know, black on black crime or like, like, you know, anytime like a, a black man gets shot by police, it's always trying to spin it in the other direction, tr- posting the Trayvon Martin pictures, making him look like a gangster and all that stuff. I mean, that's all mainlined by drudge right um and i would argue that he is driving most of that well yeah and that makes total sense if breitbart is his little fuck boy um bright on breitbart you've seen fake news such as you know pulling one one tidbit of truth like one of the hate crimes turned out to be staged right some girl that had her job pulled off ended up faking it or whatever in the police report that doesn't discount like the five thousand other hate attacks and crimes that have taken place since Trump won. And I've talked to multiple people. I just went to a, co- a care conference in Arizona and two Muslim women came up to me and told me their horror stories. Like they haven't gone out to the media and sought attention. That just happened to them. You know, localized stuff of crazy zealots being emboldened by Trump's win. That is happening on the ground. But Breitbart, of course, takes that one kernel and then they say hate crimes being staged across the country. So when people just read that headline, they're like, oh, well all of this is fake it's just like the rape thing that you were talking about like just because the rolling stone um article turned out to be not true that doesn't discount like the thousands if not millions of women who are raped (laughs) it doesn't delegitimize their stories and so this is the danger of the of of this kind of news and i think that this is the most dangerous part of fake news um these people are in the ear of the government you not only that but then the soros thing everything is soros um the i I can't tell you how many people i've argued with about the paid protester thing um they don't understand that my partner mike his organization was actually fundamental in organizing many of these protests so i know firsthand how bullshit that really is especially since i did canvassing work in college and i know like that craigslist ad was really a canvassing ad posted before the election because i took five seconds to look at it but i even saw this on rt i see this everywhere all these people are paid you guys are all soros sponsored it's like dude you guys are so uncritical i don't understand what is going on like this is actually really scary because now we're dealing beyond fox news bullshit that everyone knows is false these people actually believe this and it legitimizes their bigotry and racism islamophobia um so much and they just point to these sites and they're like here here's the proof and it's really no proof at all and i'm sitting there like tearing it bit by bit and being like actually this doesn't say this at all and i just feel like i'm spinning my wheels every day and i just i I just feel like this is this is the reality that we're dealing with now it's a completely distorted reality put out by these con artists yeah i mean we we that's part of what's so fascinating about all of this is Trump and Trump played into that. He, like you said, he posted that these are all professional protesters. He even said it on that sixty minutes interview. Now, what happens when you actually have the sitting president being able to use the media as a foil, as a scapegoat? Oh, the media is just all liars. Mm-hmm. The New York, oh, mm-hmm. that New York Times story about me being corrupt, doing this corrupt thing in my administration—that's a lie. That to me is a really interesting precedent that's been set that I don't think any other president was ever really able to do 
like this because now we are living in an era where so many regular people and people who voted for Trump completely distrust everything on Mm -hmm, the mainstream media, mm -hmm. including their old buddy Fox News, because Fox News wasn't pro-Trump. Exactly. You know, across the board. (laughs) And how can can Um, Trump deal with the consequences of his actions if he'll just deny reality and all of his supporters will just be like, oh, "Oh, that's not happening, actually. None of this is happening. And, And even more disturbingly, Trump seems to have consolidated and gotten the alternative more right-leaning media, let's say, and even the conspiracy media in his back pocket. And they all seem to actually like him, and they're all helping his sort of point of view and his angle perpetuate itself on the internet. It's um, fascinating. By posting things about all the Soros protests being staged. And now let's just examine that really quickly. Just on a common sense level, what do you think was going to happen when a candidate that the media had been telling people for months and months and months was the second coming of Hitler, that he was going to bring fascism, what do you think would happen once that person got into office? That emotion doesn't just end. You can't turn that off with a switch. People are fucking terrified. It's completely understandable. 100% understandable, inevitable that protests would happen against him. Yeah, That's the part. I don't understand why people are having a hard time grappling with that. People thought the world was going to end. I mean, this is how the emotions were so heightened right. during this election cycle that, of course, there are going to be protests. Of course, there are. And all these people talking about um, the millions of white working class voters that came out to vote for Trump. Why is it that they voted for Obama in 2012? Here's the thing is we don't know if that's true. Um, I think that there's a missing element of this whole analysis, which is like you're saying, he tapped into this conspiracy culture, this Alex Jones audience. I mean, when did Alex Jones ever endorse a political candidate like that other than Ron Paul? You know, and this guy won. Like, their candidate won, and so they're going to bend over backwards to now worship the government. It's going to be an interesting flip for Alex Jones and his audience. But these are the millions of new voters. I truly think, now now that I kind of look at the numbers, that there was a vast... Um, amount of people that came out that weren't politically active before because of this conspiracy culture all right alex and alex jones stuff online and i think that it's it's very curious how even though alex jones runs this supplement business now how his budget seems to have increased like 10 20 fold in the last three mm-hmm. years during this key time period that's very suspicious to me who is funding alex jones i i don't know it's all speculation but it is very obvious that Alex Jones and Matt Drudge were largely responsible for getting Trump in office. And to me, that's just, I'm just surprised more people aren't going back and looking at that. And I even see people still, you know, trying to write off Infowars and Alex Jones, like it's this small time operation that nobody takes seriously. That's not, that doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Trying to marginalize it that way. You can't do that anymore. It is, it was as of two years ago, I was told by Paul Joseph Watson um, that it was the third largest conservative website online, Mm -hmm. next to, I think, Fox News and Drudge. I mean, and I, well, actually, no, maybe Breitbart and Drudge. So that's that's pretty crazy. And I think that, um, you know, now that Alex Jones is supporting and is behind the President of the United States, I think it should be a wake up call to all of his listeners. That now Alex Jones is part of the establishment, mm-hmm. and people should fight against the establishment, no matter who the fuck is it, right. including Alex Jones, including Trump, including Breitbart, 
They're all part of the establishment. They're not these hip outsiders anymore. They're part of the fucking machine. Yeah. And we need to take they are the system. this machine. They are the system. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And, and another thing that's disturbing is we're talking about, you know, drudge to Breitbart to Infowars. And they kind of like get more, you know or just more fallacious, I guess you could say, as as time goes on. Um, well, InfoWars is, I think, the only one of those three that is still pushing the Pizzagate stuff, um, which I think is just really yeah. interesting because it just takes one, you know, to make this fly. Um, and you look at InfoWars' site the last couple of years, I'd say. I don't know when they started to go full Islamophobe, anti-immigrant, pro-police and shit, but that happened um, quite a long time ago, and they've just gone full force I mean, it's really indistinguishable from, from a lot of the stuff Breitbart does. Uh, pretty much everything is just bashing immigrants, bashing women, um, bashing Muslims, and or just this Christian evangelical dog whistling about Pizzagate and demons. And that's a really slippery slope. That's a really, really slippery slope. Well, yeah, that's the thing is Breitbart itself, sure, it's dangerous. It's white nationalist. It's dog whistling. It's racism. It's all that shit. It is, it is a dangerous, influential website. But yet... Breitbart isn't talking about how Hillary Clinton is a demon. Right. Breitbart isn't telling people to stock up on ammunition and guns. Or, or if they are, they're not talking about it as often as Alex Jones. Breitbart isn't talking about how there's a secret uh, pedophile ring in D.C. ran by uh, or all coordinated through this pizza parlor in a, in a dungeon underneath it. <laughs> Alex Jones is to millions of people, tens of millions of people, Um and I think it needs to be taken very, very seriously mm -hmm. because, like I said, I literally heard him a few days before the election crying, tears streaming down his face, saying that they're hurting kids. Hillary Clinton hurts kids. She's a demon. She's part of this. But then at the end, he, he issued a little disclaimer saying, but now is not the time to like go and fight these people, almost implying like that there could be a time that we're really going to rebel. And and I don't and you know, I can only infer what he means by that. But to me, it means an arm, some kind of armed insurrection, and that's, you know, that's an unexpected angle to all of this. That part of me has always feared a little bit in my mind that Alex Jones supporters could become the new brown shirts, but now I feel like it's actually a potential reality trajectory that I could see if certain things happen in the future, and that's really disturbing. Yeah, I couldn't that this agree more. Supposed anti-establishment, skeptical listening audience, Alex Jones could actually turn into the vigilante enforcers that Trump might actually be like. Yeah, we like these oath keeper, you know, guys or whatever. Well, we see it right now. ICE, um, the police unions, all an unprecedented endorsement of Trump, and we've yeah, known all of these. That's people, really intense mm -hmm, too. And all these yeah. people for years and years have have gone that same route where every black person who's killed every person who's killed by a cop deserved it every cop should be praised and it's no longer in the corners of the internet this is this is mainstream this is our reality and now. how f and how funny and sad is it that alex jones used to be the premier alternative media figure warning people about militarized police mm -hmm. and pointing out the dangers of militarized police which i think in and of itself was a very he did good things years ago, pointing out things like um, like the LRAD systems. I mean, I heard about a lot of that stuff first from Infowars years and years ago. Yeah, of when course. Bush was still in of power. Of course, yeah. Nobody else was talking about that stuff. And now that it's 
it's it, the Black Lives Matter movement is is sort of front and center in the, all these standoffs with riot and militarized police. He doesn't give a shit about them anymore. It's all about how black people are dangerous now. That's all he talks about. And that's really strange coming from someone who knows so much about the danger of increasingly militarized police. And now that Trump's in office, it's going to be worse than it's ever been. Right. And do you, do you really see th- this trajectory of militarized police drawing back under Trump? No, it's going to be amped up in a way that we probably didn't even see under Bush. I mean, that's my, I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Of- he used to do relatively interesting things that we used to pay attention to, you know? It was like, yeah, he definitely was right wing, but he would be calling out the government left and right. And, you know, the TSA stuff or the militarized police uh, surveillance, da, 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 da. Um, it's a very, very different story now. Very, very different story. And all of his supporters and all of these people that we're talking about, Drudge, Breitbart, Alex Jones, they love police. They hate, you know, protesters. And you look at the last like three or no, two movements, Black Lives Matter, Oh, and Standing Rock. They haven't said shit about that, you know? Standing Rock, yeah. Black Lives Matter, and Occupy Wall Street. All three funded by George Soros. Wow, what a way to truncate the only, like, organic, some sort of insurrection, you know, going on, nonviolent, that we could build upon, that we can coordinate with, collaborate with, learn from, and move forward with. They're mocked, they're ridiculed. You want to talk about divide and conquer, that has been coming from these people, the last 10 years, you know, we always talk about what happened to like the bridging between the Ron Paul people and the Dennis Kucinich people. That happened. They, they pushed a wedge into every single movement that could have been an avenue or an opening for something. And instead, it just made people more isolated, more scared, and more paranoid. You know? Yeah. And, and more an anti-PC culture. Yeah, that's the problem. Instead, you're just fucking punching down at minorities, the Native Americans at Standing Rock, and you're not, I mean, just, you refuse to first understand their plight and understand what the hell is going on. There's real shit going on right now, and we all have to band together if we want to actually change what's going on, or do you want to sit there for years and just say, oh, well, he tells the truth. Well, yeah, I guess he tells the truth if you hate immigrants and black people too, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just really, really, really upsetting, Robbie. Yeah, I think we're in for a very dangerous, scary future living in this country. And I really don't want to sound alarmist, but I don't think there's like a, a softer way to put it that what we saw happen in Bundy Ranch with Infowars and how he was able to sort of, you know, get a bunch of armed people to come to Bundy Ranch um, we, we're going to see that again, I think, mm-hmm. um, possibly in the next four years. And it's going to be really ugly. And Trump, I, I think, will will actually encourage something like that, maybe. Yep. I mean, it's not, and, and it's not going to be against the federal government because Trump will be in, in charge of the federal government. It's going to be against people. Um, and I, I mean... I don't want to fear monger too much about someone whose whole career is built on fear mongering, but I've never been more worried about where this can go um, mm-hmm. in the whole history of, of being into politics. And, and this is coming from someone who listened to Alex Jones for two or three years right? Um, back when George W. Bush was president. Um, so I just don't know what else to say about it other than be very skeptical 
of people in the alternative media claiming that they're telling you the truth because simply because they're the alternative to the mainstream media that's the problem is this distrust has now made people just like blindly and blanketly conflate all of these sites that happen to be like off the mainstream and you know going back to that fake propaganda list um you know it, it conflates legitimately fake news with amazing investigative journalism that is the antidote to what we're talking about that we need to now become media literate we can't just believe all this bullshit the pizzagate stuff is complete confirmation bias there's no hard evidence yes pedophiles exist but all of this is just such a hysterical distraction from legitimate corruption and criminality i know you know pizzagate is just super depressing to to look at what it's doing to people and and how much of a distraction it, it, it is um but what you were saying earlier about how alex jones is spreading that but these other websites aren't I think that's deliberate. Um, I think Breitbart is has actually been instrumental in it, but they dropped only hints that led people into these rabbit holes. And one of the main ways they did that, actually, was right at the tail end of the election cycle, right before um, voting day, Eric Prince went on a Breitbart radio show and went on this detailed rant about how he had inside sources in the NYPD and FBI who were ready to make arrests, multiple arrests in the Anthony Weiner sexting scandal to a minor um, that involved things that they found in the other Clinton emails that they were going to make arrests in the Clinton campaign. And he goes on this rant and says, these are disgusting things, some of the most criminal things you've ever seen. He's alluding to all these things mm-hmm. and, and making it sound very Pre-prog, dark and evil. Yeah, and that is straight <laughs> up planting the seeds for what became Pizzagate. Right. Because if you line up what he's saying, it makes it seem like he had all these inside sources that knew there was this huge underground pedophile ring um, and that the Justice Department was trying to cover up, which actually gives everybody in Pizzagate a little out because it's like, if you try to debunk it, what Eric Prince is saying, they'll be like, no, but Eric Prince said the Justice Department is covering up, so that's why we're not hearing about these yeah, you know, law enforcement Eric people Prince wanting to make arrests. Yeah, let's cite Eric source. That's great. So that's, to me, really bizarre that this known murderer and CEO of an evangelical Christian um, uh, mercenary force who's indiscriminately murdered innocent civilians in Iraq for fun and sport is now being taken seriously by people in the alternative media and conspiracy circles. It's extremely bizarre. Those should be the first people to question Eric Prince. Yeah, we're in a Um, topsy-turvy reality right now. We are living in a bizarre off you know earth two has begun and i think that look talking to these people too who have been actually attacked um this one woman who wore a hijab all her life grew up in like arkansas moved to florida never had a problem never had anyone say anything to her the day after trump got elected some woman at a gas station came up to her and said your time is up we're getting rid of you this is your last warning and she like teared up as she was telling me this and i was just like you know even if um, Trump doesn't do the shit he was saying he's going to do. This should concern people. Like these are our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family. People are scared. People are terrified. This is not okay to make people be living in fear that they're going to get fucking deported. And and then the alternative is you have all these people hysterically obsessed with fake conspiracies, pedophile rings, and conflating with like Jimmy Savile and and Jeffrey Epstein's plane. It's like, dude, these. 
please stop. Please stop. You are, it's like psychic vampirism to the maximum. I just can't, I don't even know what to do anymore. Like, where do we go from here? Well, I don't know because it's, it, this has the danger of doing a lot of different things. One of the dangers that I just didn't even think about until you were talking, um, you made me think of this, is this how the sensationalism, the hysteria, the darkness, the evil that it, that it would require to actually like be involved in this level of like a pedophile sex trafficking ring and then putting putting like symbols out to like secretly brag about it and shit. What, what they're alleging in Pizzagate is so dark and evil that it eclipses so much actual important crime and corruption that is constantly happening in DC and with the U S government. So that's one thing that it's doing um, is it just makes all that stuff seem like small potatoes in comparison. Do you know what I mean? So it's, so all the people who would normally be like, Oh, the Clinton foundation, here's some proof of e like illegality. Oh no, that's actually fuck that. That's not important anymore because Clinton is involved in running a child sex trafficking ring. Yep. So it's, it, it's, it is a very convenient distraction and now um, nothing I say matters. It's all these people just being like, when are you going to talk about Pizzagate? You're not covering real shit. And it's like, wow. Yeah. This is the danger in the skeptical alternative media conspiracy theory culture getting so off the rails like we've been seeing for the last few years with the inclusion of things like the flat earthers, yep. which is now apparently a real thing, with the inclusion of people for years... Um, you would go on YouTube, you would type in 9-11, half the videos would be about how the planes are a hologram. The the amount of stuff that was coming into the conspiracy movement and how much of that has been piled in, chemtrails, weather mm-hmm. weapons. You know, it used to be that UFO stuff was like the fringiest of the conspiracy theory culture. Not anymore. It's not just JFK, Iran-Contra, CIA drug running, and UFOs. It's that the all the real stuff, the U.S. government deep state stuff, is like one percent of the conspiracy exactly. stuff. Now it's all crazy fantasy, um, cathartic like fantasy fulfillment. Even Pizzagate, on some level, is like it fulfills this weird lurid fantasy of like you want to believe yep. that our elites are this evil and this disgusting that they molest kids. They must molest kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it is, it's a weird parallel to the, what's happening in the UK. It's almost comes from a rightward shift in the culture. Because if you notice, the UK has been kind of shifting to the right almost like a little bit earlier than we have. Their shift to the right's happening before us. We're sort of following a similar path. This whole pedophile, elite pedophile ring conspiracy thing dominates conspiracy theory culture in England. It has for years. And now. Look at what's happening here. Mm-hmm. After Brexit and after this fear of immigrants and, and refugees in England, all of a sudden now in the U.S., after our fear of immigrants and refugees and terrorism again, boom, now all our, our elites are pedophiles. Yeah, some, It just mm-hmm. seems like it's just a very weird evolution that, um, and I don't know where it's going to go from here, but it's scary to and me. And it's scary also that you have like outlets like corporate media completely distrusted outlets like the New York Times, Washington Post, parroting this fake news list, right? From this anonymous uh, propaganda finder who's all about fucking Russia propaganda. 
Um, and and yeah. it's unfortunate because instead of analyzing this and, and going through and fact-checking themselves, you know, like journalists are supposed to do and saying, okay, this site countering this in some way while at the same time acknowledging that some of the sites were fake news sites, like these random fucking blogs that are wrong all the time and have outrageous headlines. Yeah. That's insane because they're punching down to the people, like I said before, doing the real work, truth dig, counterpunch, amazing journalistic outlets that we should be going to for news. And they're conflating it with all this stuff because it's anti-establishment. <laughs> it's so crazy, the reality that we're living yeah. in now. It's like they, they are incapable of introspection at all. Like they won't accept their own faults for why Hillary lost. They refuse to acknowledge anything that they did wrong. They instead say third parties cost them, Bernie cost them. And now the, the distrust in mainstream media, now they're saying, oh, we live in this post-truth era. Why the fuck do you think that is? What the fuck have you guys been doing for the last 20 years to make everyone not believe you? to cultivate this kind of post-truth era. Yeah, I mean, it, it is largely their fault. I mean, and I'm, you know, I'll still read mainstream news all the time because I know, you know, I have some experience like figuring out who's a trusted reporter, who's not. Like some of the propaganda talking points, you can tell when they're coming through the mainstream media and when they're not, when it's just someone editorializing their own opinion. And I mean, if you don't have that filter, um, I th it's it's this it's a sad default response to just believing that everything in the mainstream media is a hundred percent fake. Mm -hmm. It is just not a it is just not a smart way to look at the world, because in everything that you read, there is true information and there is false mm -hmm. information, and the the best thing to do, I think, is to develop a filter to be able to navigate any source of information to determine what you feel is true or false. And for some reason, it's it's just that's not the direction it's going in. Yeah, I always say look it's at the source. you have all these camps now. The, the Media Literacy 101, look at the source of the information. Of course, the corporate media, we understand it's not just CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC. It's their ladder networks uh vox vice all of these are just extensions of the corporate media it's just repackaged rebranded to be more hip and modern to millennials that's really what it is it still comes from the same thing so let's say you're reading a story about russia that doesn't mean it's entirely untrue it just means that there's more of an incentive to demonize russia because you have reporters who are trying to gain access with people who hate russia that are politicians in the u.s government and access is the most important thing in dc if you see a yeah. story about attacking corporations on rt pretty much is probably going to be true because state media can attack corporations without you know um without that barrier um corporate media you just have to understand and navigate through this stuff i just read this really disturbing uh study of a lot of the people not only the headline thing but a lot of people don't understand what is not necessarily fake news but like ads you know how, like there's so many promoted stories that are written by either corporations themselves or like lobbyists that are just planted in these papers and stuff now and it's either in a fine print or you just kind of overlook it that's a huge danger too and and that's why take corporate media with a grain of salt like i i read corporate media all the time but like like you i understand how to understand where they're coming from this attempt to be unbiased and to have like journalistic credibility is really just a, an opaque charade um and really I encourage bias because I would much rather say, here's where I stand on all these fucking issues and you can take it 
as you will. Here's my opinion. Here's the facts behind it. Let's not tiptoe around journalistic credibility and, and unbiased journalism. It doesn't exist. Everyone is a human being. They all have their own opinions, and that bleeds through through their work. No, I mean, one of, the be- one of my favorite investigative reporters, Robert Perry, is extremely open about how he feels and his opinion on all these things. And, and when you read his material, it gives it even more credibility because you, you feel like you know exactly where he stands and he's not pulling back on certain things. He's just laying everything out and sort of giving you this lens. You know, you don't have to see through his lens because it's so much backed up with all this facts and information. Um, it's incredibly resourceful. I mean, I just don't think a lot of people who do investigative reporting, um, especially you know, you don't even know what their opinion is. And like, you know, you see like an investigative report on a Russian troll factory in Russia with all these anonymous people talking that supposedly worked at this Russian troll factory. I mean, it's pretty likely that that person wouldn't have gone through the trouble of writing a story like that and investigating it, if it's if any of it's true, unless they had some kind of like anti-Russian sort of like pro-US agenda behind it. Um and I think I just think that that's what I mean by developing a filter. Is you, it's like, you know, even reading stories like that, you don't have to see something debunking it. Just read it, and and try to understand why someone would go through the trouble to do an investigation on. I that. think a perfect um, example. Because, oh, go on. I was just going to say because everybody knows. I mean, most trolls online are not Russian trolls, mm-hmm. but it gives you the impression that when you're reading it, that like anytime anybody trolls you you know online about politics it's a it's a russian getting paid to do it it's it creates paranoia absolutely and i think you know it, it also um deflects from our troll factory and the hasbro troll factory that we were talking about earlier exactly and i think that um the best examples of this recently is cuba and the mainstream media's coverage of cuba i've never seen anything more distorted in my life millions of people unquestioningly repeating and echoing the most baseless shit i've ever heard castro had torture gulags castro executed thousands of political prisoners he has thousands of political prisoners it's a total tyrannical police state and i was just like oh my god i was like can you give me like literally one shred of evidence that he has mass executions mass imprisonment of political prisoners and like every everything when i boiled it down to the nitty-gritty it was like something that happened, you know, it happens every couple of years where they do imprison some people that they accuse of being CIA agents or whatever who work for USAID or some shit because we're spending $20 million on the ground every year to try to overthrow the government. And we've been doing that for decades and fomenting regime change. So on one hand, I don't, you know, it's like they have to close themselves off a little bit and be a little bit skeptical of these fake programs, the fake HIV program, Zunio, that Twitter app that they're trying to get people involved in overthrowing Castro, the, the hip hop infiltration um, that happened there. So all of these things, totally no context. Everyone just talking about how he's a dictator and how Cuba was horrible as a communist shithole ignoring that it has one of the best healthcare systems in the world. It exports doctors, not bombs. They're on the front lines of almost every natural disaster or medical emergency in the fucking world. And that is under a 50-year economic blockade for the Cuban people. And I spoke to completely random people on the street that were not afraid on camera to tell me what criticisms they had at all. Um, And they were all just very, the main effect that the blockade has is not being able to get medicine. So I think that that, you know, it might not have been completely altruistic, but it really shows you that under such severe economic restrictions, you can still have 
amazing things done for the people. It has one of the lowest crime rates in the Western Hemisphere. So it is really fascinating when you watch the media and read all of the accounts. New York Times was just repeating over and over again, like, no mourning for Castro here in Miami. It's like, oh, you mean the family and lineage of the Batista regime that did execute tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, you know, people died (laughs) under this guy's regime. He was like this casino mogul who was a total puppet, total dictator. The Cuban Revolution overthrew a dictator to install like an actual people's republic. And people are comparing him to Pinochet, Castro. And you're like, no, Pinochet overthrew a democratically elected president. That's the difference. It's just, it's the most skewed propaganda ever. And, you know, it kind of is like the nuclear bomb thing. It's like when you when you bring up something that we think we've thought about differently for a long time and we don't really realize how far behind so many millions of more people are because of the indoctrination of like American exceptionalism. It's the same thing with Cuba. It's the same thing with the dropping of the nukes on Japan. It just reminds you how cemented these myths are. Um, you know, it makes sense that that people are brainwashed into thinking that Cuba's like that. But it but again, it was just very funny and telling to see this all unfold, having been there, having done all these reports there. And I was just like, wow, it's just amazing. Um, so it's just an example of like, they, they know their line, you know, they know the line that they have to toe to be in that click. And that's what you see with a lot of this like establishment journalism st- stuff. But even still like Infowars and all these right wing people were talking mad shit because of course they are vociferous uh, apologists for capitalism nothing is ever the economic system's fault it's always the government and when you claim everything is the government's problem because of what neoliberalism has done to disenfranchise millions of people then we end up with trump we end up with a corporation as our government and we end up with a goldman sachs hedge fund fucking manager as the treasury secretary good fucking job great job we took out the middleman well you guys wanted that right well here you go Let's see how well the country works operating as a business. How does a business work? Maximizing profits at all costs. That means human beings are fucking expendable. Great. Let's see how the countries <laughs> run like that. Yeah. We're going to see a huge uptick in the private prison industry, in the homeland security, sort of militarized police, um, you know, bonanza. You know, the terrorism gold rush that um, James Risen talks about all in his book. Uh, that's We're going to see a rekindling of that whole thing. Um, and God forbid a fucking another like large-scale 9-11 type thing happens here. Because can you believe how much money can be made off of something like that now? Dude, I, oh um, my God. That's so hard to even it, consider right now. I mean, we just had a 9-11 moment. Trump won. <laughs> yeah. Like now to think about that happening is so scary. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to just go back to that. So you were talking about that website prop or not, yeah. which was listing the fake news um, list. And while they did actually have a lot of actual fake news sites in there, they listed dozens of like radical left political websites that are extremely aggressive towards the U.S. government, that do not run fake news. Right. And what was interesting about that website is it actually came off the heels of another website um, that I believe was actually sponsored by the University of Illinois. It was a bunch of stu- like graduate students got together and worked on a list that was actually way more accurate that only included like the legitimately fake news clickbait sites that were going around Facebook. I barely saw any headlines about that study. 
I mean, it seemed like a more legitimate effort to try to do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Although I had not looking at it now, I cannot vouch for its authenticity. It just seems like this website came after, and it was sort of designed to distract you away from that other list and make it, make you think this was like the master list or whatever. Um, and this was like the authoritative list when it was clearly manipulated and done to lump in tons of legitimate sites. Um, I can't stress that enough. And funnily enough, it didn't even put Breitbart in there. But it does list Drudge Report and Infowars, which I thought was an odd thing. Um, but what I looked, I was trying to figure out who this company was. They list an address. They actually make a plugin for Google Chrome. Do not download this plugin. It might very well be actual malware if it's made by an organization that's putting out such manipulative information. So don't download it. But on their developer pane for this plugin, it actually lists an address in New Mexico. Um, oddly, though, this address is only only belongs to a filing company in New Mexico that files LLCs for overseas corporations or companies operating out of state. So I'm going to guess that this is actually maybe even a foreign company who's filing in the United States, and they're still completely anonymous. No one says who who's behind it. No one says where they're located from. They're trying to even operate anonymously physically, like their address is a front. And I'm not saying like it's a phony address. It's a real address that allows you to use this filing company's address to operate out of state or out of country. And I looked up the same address, and it's also used by a bizarre company called Augmented Entertainment um, that belongs to the Colorado Office of the Secretary of State. It belongs to a company called Asia America Imports. So this is not a real address at all, um, which just adds more to the mystery of who this company actually is. But Mark Ames was uh, going through all their tweets. They did a bunch of old tweets. And his theory was that it was actually a Ukrainian trolling hacking group, potentially, that did it, that actually is running a hoax of some kind to like wow. ensnare U.S. media people. Wow. Because he found tweets they made promoting these like weird Ukrainian anarchists, like right-winger people that are like extremely obscure which sort of led him to think that, you know, pe normal people wouldn't know who these people are. It must be someone who's, like, familiar with Ukrainian political scene. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, it, it could be, um, might be complete bullshit, but, it, I mean, it's worth looking into more. Although, luckily, a lot of people in the alternative media um, were debunking this list and going after it. So I don't know if it's actually going to, you know, have any staying power. But it was still really upsetting to see it you know, being published totally. in the Washington Post. Yeah, of course. It, it was, absolutely. Um, yeah, especially since the Washington Post is, is the source of what the main problem is, which is the deterioration of the fourth estate for so long. And let's, let's end this broadcast with a positive note. Uh, we do have, look, we're, we're just basically trying to say no one should just be complacent. Um, obviously, you shouldn't sit there in terror and be a mobile like this should be an inspiring time we should be reaching out to each other this could be a new opening for a lot of people a lot of progressive people who were dormant during the obama administration you know we've been railing on obama this entire time before he was president during his presidency um and it's time that we now unite with people who understand the threat right they understand what obama really did leave behind and um, absolutely and so this is this is the time it's a it's a beautiful time I said it before and I'll say it again, the lotus flower grows out of the mud and I truly think that we have space for something beautiful to happen. 
Yeah, and I'm and I want to put out the overture again to people on the alt right and people who not just on the alt right because regular let's just say this for the record that regular American men and women all across the country of all races voted for Trump, and it's not this white working class vote that that nailed the victory for Trump. I I think that's a a, a myth that's already being developed for some reason, and I think that. I just want to say to if any of those people are listening, if you voted for Trump and you genuinely believe in in some of the promises, some of the good promises, de-escalating with uh, tensions with Russia, um, not starting new Middle Eastern wars, if those things are important to you, I, I don't want to speak for you, Abby, but I'm reaching out to yeah, you, of course, and say like join us in this fight against this system and this establishment, because regardless of if Trump presented himself as an anti-establishment candidate. He's there now, and it doesn't matter what promises he made or what you believed in. If you believe in your heart that it's important to see these things gone and dismantled, join us in fighting it. Because we will fight it no matter who's in power, no matter who's doing it. That's that's completely irrelevant, really, in the ultimate scheme of this. And I think that if you're afraid of immigrants or things like that, just remember that really the government is who's going to hurt you. It's not going to be an Islamic terrorist. The chances are so low. The amount of money the government wastes on defense spending is so much more than any of these welfare programs that keep you up at night worrying that you know Mexicans are taking your jobs or your money. Things like that. It's such a drop in the bucket. It's not... It, yeah, they have billion-dollar jets. Like how, many, how much money does a bomb cost? They and I, and I and I'm using the term they, which which might some people might find funny, but they do want us to fight amongst ourselves and and be divided. That's how the public is unable to unite and really fight meaningfully against the system. As if we're divided, fractured, we're hating on people who are poorer than us, who are you know a different race than us. None of those things will bring us closer. To fighting the establishment, and so I just want people to remember that. Yeah, and and by the establishment we mean really empire. The U.S. is by far the most destructive militaristic force in the world has been for a very long time. So as much as we hear about Russian aggression and Russian hacking, it pales in comparison to the insurmountable damage that the U.S. empire has done and the undermining of other people's democratic processes all over the world in every continent. And under Obama, we now have, I think, 70% of the world's nations um, have special operations forces on the ground. So I think that if we can really, and I know that there are a lot of people out there who did vote for Trump thinking in that vein. And I think that we all need to come together and oppose what the empire is doing, no matter who is the face of it, because it doesn't end or stop with the presidency. No, and it never has. Right. To think that it will somehow over, under Trump... Um, is it is a fantasy, and it's and it's a harmful one, and it's going to make people very disappointed and very disillusioned and very upset. And and this whole idea that you know if your relative supported Trump or if they voted for him, and now you can't even speak to them, I just think that it's not going to serve anyone. We I mean try to get over that if you can, because I mean ultimately they're your family you know i mean maybe a year from now when they're disappointed by trump they'll come to your side and understand more what you're saying yeah totally um, it's maybe sounds hopeful but i really believe that let's prevent 
whatever comes out of this from being co-opted by the Democratic Party, from being utilized as energy behind fake political campaigns. Let's use this to generate a real, real movement here. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think that let's get out in the streets. Let's unite with people. Let's reach out to whoever is out there. You know, let, let's engage with people. And um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening uh, to us rant and rave. Let us know what you think. Um, donate on our Patreon, which is on the SoundCloud timeline. You can also download the episode on iTunes and subscribe there. Yes, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, check out um, Abby and I recently appeared separately uh, on different appearances on Real News Network. Um, and uh, what else do we have coming down the pipeline? Now you have a new episode of Empire Files coming out. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, really, it's just I, I really encourage people to watch this series on Palestine, especially since yesterday was the International Day of Solidarity with Palestine. We have a series starting with the Nakba. Um, and the takeover of the land and explaining that four-part map that you've you've seen and going into the main issues today um, home demolition settler terrorism israeli society what can we do uh, and everything in between refugee camps so yeah check it out it's all on telesaurmediaroots.org um, and our youtube channel empire files and thank you everybody for listening bye